Welcome to YFC Now with news and encouragement from Fresno Madera Youth for Christ. Ministering to area kids for over 65 years, here is the host of YFC Now, Executive Director Ed Kazmarek. Well, thanks again for participating in the YFC Now show. We love to share the great news about the gospel reaching our youth. And there is hope. There is hope for our youth today. They're changing. They're being transformed by the renewing of their mind through the scriptures and through great volunteers and staff through Youth for Christ. So thanks for being with us. Today we're going to focus on a story, uh, the story of Josh in Madeira. And uh, I uh, took a trip to uh, the courthouse park in Madeira where we visited and uh, made our little studio and uh, created this radio show right there in the middle of Madeira. Got to talk to Josh about his testimony, his background, how he ended up in juvenile hall, and then how the Lord got a hold of him. Here is that interview with Josh. So I have with me in the studio, I have Josh Cardenas. And uh, is that how you pronounce your last name? Yeah, Cardenas. Okay. Uh, Great to have you here, Josh. And uh, I met you probably a year, maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, about that time. And uh, I met you through Ron Giovanetti. And uh, Ron is our minister in Madeira, as I've said before. And he connected with you when you were kind of in a bad situation. You were in juvenile hall, isn't that right? Yes, I was in juvenile hall, back and forth all the time. So without getting specific, I mean, you ended up in juvenile hall for a crime or crimes that had been committed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Ron is our uh, staff member and our chaplain who goes into juvenile hall. And you're on one of our videos because we interviewed you about a year, year and a half ago. But um, even even since then, life has changed and you've grown. So I want to dig into that a little deeper. But first of all, what was it like in Juvenile Hall, in Madeira Juvenile Hall for you? Well, when I first got there, I'd never been there before. So I, so the first day I got there, I had to fight to prove myself. That was one of the other things. And then the, everything was bad. The food was bad. The, the sleeping was bad. They tell you when to sleep, when to eat, and all this. The clothing was like just was just tore up. From the boxers to everything, I was there when they had the boxers. It was all just messed up, basically. So you did you say you had to fight to prove yourself? Mm-hmm. So did you actually get in fights in juvenile hall? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've been maced and all that stuff too. I mean, I've been in and out for all other stuff, but and it's basically like if, if the people you run with, you either control it or they control you, basically. Well, um, I know there's going to be some background noise because we're actually sitting here at Courthouse Park in Madeira. We're in a in an urban setting, and uh, you live in Madeira, and I guess you were you born or raised in Madeira? I was born in Colorado. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how'd you get to California? I came in about fourth grade, about fourth grade, moved okay. to California. Okay. And so you've been in Madeira since fourth grade? Yes. Okay. And by the way, how old are you now? 18. 18 years old, yeah. okay. So you were in, in juvenile hall. What age did you end up in juvenile hall first? About 16, I think. 16, okay. And I was in there ever back and forth. How much total time did you spend in juvenile hall in Madeira? Like almost a year and a half. Year and a half. Back, back to back. That seems like a long time in a young life. Kind of, yeah. Well, okay, so you're in juvenile hall. It's a rough situation. Um, what would you say were some of the darkest days and some of the hardest things about it? Was seeing, well, mainly was seeing some of my close friends go to prison, go up go over to prison more or hear that my friends are, are out in the streets that they're getting shot at and all this and then and I couldn't do nothing about it because I was just sitting there 
and hearing that my, my family's going through struggles and, and saying that I love my mom, but I'm still out here doing doing all this wicked, crazy stuff. And it hurts me inside when I see her cry, but sometimes I just don't. That's the part that hurts me more is my family, mm. knowing that I'm hurting them, but I still say I love them at the same time, which I really don't. Cause if I did, I wouldn't be doing that. Mm. So there's that but, conflict, always that conflict yeah, in your heart. Yeah, which backfires on me, everything. Can I ask you, Josh, um, was your dad there for you? Was he? Well, he was he was here, but then he was there. He was. He would leave and come back a couple years later. Me and him always bumped heads all the time ever since I was little. We never really got along. And you would, we would just get in arguments. He would, he would just leave, and we would have to find somewhere else to live. And it was just hectic most of the time. But, but yeah, it was crazy before. Mm. Well, when you're in juvenile hall now, um, and you know you've struggled through that. Finally, somebody came into juvenile hall. Of course, we have Youth for Christ ministry. We have chaplains and volunteers who go into juvenile hall. Was it one of those people that you met, that that first started the change in your life? Yeah, I was Chaplain Ron. Well, yeah, before when I see him, I never really, I never really talked to him that much before, but because he would come in there and I was just like, how do you say, I wouldn't really focus on the church. I would just go in there, someone had to sit on the, the metal seats because it would hurt. So I was going in the class and just sitting there. So in other words, was, you were kind of just sitting in church, just, but not, not yeah, wanting to pay attention? No, just okay. wanted to just make time go by faster. But but Ron, he, he, he would talk to me, I don't know why, but he talked to me a lot before. And over, as time go by, I was also asking him these questions and... He, he would just answer him, and he was he was really nice. And he, when he told us his background, it, it just really amazed me because I because I never really thought he could do that. He, he had tattoos though, but just his face it just looked peaceful. Hmm. So yeah. this is our our chaplain Ron Ron Jovanetti. He's been with YFC for ten years, and mm. he's also on that video I talked about yeah. where we interviewed you. Ron's on the video. He's in uh, in again been with with us for ten years. What a great guy! But you said something to me once where you saw something different at Ron's face in his eyes. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. I see him when he came in all, he has all tattoos and everything. And I was just looking at him because I was like looking where he came from. I was wondering. And then usually some people, like everybody just looks always mean all the time. The people, like my friends, the, the staff, everybody. When he came in, I just seen, I looked at, I looked right in his eyes and I seen like, I seen peace and he was just, no matter what, he knew, he knew the situation he was in. The juvenile hall was a real bad environment. Some people let some people adapt to that kind of environment, but not not really Chaplain Ron or the ministry he was with. But mainly him that stood out to me the most was that he just had like peace in his eyes, and it was it just tripped me hmm. out. I just want to emphasize that Josh, because that's so neat that you know you say it tripped you out that he had that peace in his eyes. And there's a verse that I love in Scripture about the peace that passes understanding. And that's the peace that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I believe we as believers have that a peace that goes beyond understanding where you can be in juvenile hall or boot camp or in a difficult life situation. And yet you can have that peace in your heart and in your eyes. And that's what you saw in Ron. So we've got Chaplain Ron with us as well. Good morning, Ron. Morning. Thanks for being here in the studio. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, we're again. Uh, it's just such a great story, Ron. Josh says that uh, you know when he went to church, he wasn't really focusing on church that much. He just wanted a more comfortable place to be. And but he kept bumping into you. He noticed something in your eyes, a peace in your eyes. And he also just said that you would talk to him all the time. He didn't know why. 
So can you tell me about that? Maybe if you remember the first time you met Josh and just how you deal with the boys uh, when you have church? Well, in the beginning, when I first uh, come in for the church service, I, I do my best to at least try to acknowledge everyone by shaking hands or something. And Josh just seemed to have, uh, we just had kind of an immediate connection. And, uh, of course, I think we're all drawn to pe certain people uh, more than others. And not that I ever want to leave anybody out, but those that we're drawn to, uh, I think that's the ones that, that may be designed for us to really start building a relationship with. And Josh was just one of those young men that uh, uh, I had a connection with immediately. And uh, I saw some things about Josh, and so I wanted to know about him. I wanted to know his situation, uh, and I wanted to know how I could uh, connect him to Jesus. Well, I, I agree with you, Ron. I believe that God orchestrates those meetings, and I believe he softens our hearts, and he prepares the soil to be fertile and to accept the Word of God, and I think he was doing that in Josh's life. And so Josh and you got to start building a relationship, and we just talk about it so often that Youth for Christ and uh, working in the juvenile hall, what it's all about is building those relationships and just a place where uh, a kid can share his heart and feel safe. And I think that's what he found in you. So just take a, let's take a sidestep here, Ron, and tell us what church is like in the juvenile hall or in the boot camp in Madeira. We, we have two hours where we're able to come in and, uh, and, and of course, the wonderful, faithful volunteers that also attend with me. And, and each and every volunteer has that particular group of young men uh, and who used to be females at one time that they would just start connecting to so in one way or the other all persons are going to be able to to make some connection with somebody there and and so uh, it's not really structured like typical church um, only because of the of those principles of building relationships and so we do have a worship time and um, out of that worship time the, the, there is either a message or there is either several messages, parts from different volunteers. And then while that's going on, we have uh, what they allow us to do is take the youth one at a time or two at a time outside into the day room area and spend a little quality time. So that's kind of going on at the same time. There's also times when we were able to show movies, Christian movies and those types of things or uh, informational DVDs that would something that we feel is important to our heart that would be important to them and and uh, you know during those times is when um, what, what the blessing is for me is that I can see the the change I can see the thirst in the young men's hearts I can see the, the changes that they're beginning to make and and of course I can also tell the ones that aren't quite ready now Ron before we get back to Josh and, and his story and his experience let me just make it clear for our studio audience that all of your volunteers have PhDs in counseling and mentoring, and they work as volunteers 40 hours a week, right? Isn't that right? Oh, they don't have PhDs? I don't know where you got that idea. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the typical volunteer. I mean, could people in our listening audience even be volunteers? Anyone that has a desire to spend time with youth, uh, I've seen from all spectrums. I've seen those that, that just seemed like they felt they were committed and called by God, and I've seen those that didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't think there was no way they would go into an institution, come in, like Gary Johns, for instance, um, and 
all of a sudden Gary Johns became a, a person that wanted to come in all the time. I had to almost tell Gary, look, <laughs> you need to take a vacation, go spend some time with your wife or something because he was so dedicated. But he was a man that, that filled out a card at, a, at an event and the card was passed on to me because he lived in Madera, and I called him up, and he was just really unsure about becoming a volunteer and going into an institution. I invited him, and I kept inviting him, and finally one day he came, and he was sold out from that day. Hmm. Well, I, I take that as an invitation to believers who are listening, those who are in Madera, those who are in Fresno, to think about uh, the, the chaplaincy or volunteering in an institution as a possible ministry that they yes. can do. Yes. And, and we'll give, we'll provide the training, we'll provide the background checks, we'll connect you with how to get in, and we'll give you training and experience and, and just walk with you through that. Again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, you don't have to be a PhD. Not at all. You have to have that heart and that peace that passes understanding that That's you can it. share with the kids. You know, we all have that message. We've all been given that love, and that, that love is a responsibility for us to give away. And so if you, if you just have some love in your heart and you care about uh, young people, come on in. Pour it, pour it out. That's, pour it out. That's amen right, to that. Because that's what they're looking yeah. for. So, Josh, back to you. You you got that that love and peace and that guidance from Ron. Tell us how that started changing and your how your heart started changing when you were connecting with the volunteers and with Ron. Well, mainly was when I first met him. How they they would kind of talk to me here and there, and they planted that seed in me. And after every time they would come and visit me, when they leave, I'll go back to doing my own thing. But when they come, it's like. I had a different mindset when I saw them. It's like it just changed all of a sudden. And the more they came, the more I talked to them, the more my old mind started going away little by little. But it was more of a disciplinary, disciplined thing for my mind that I wouldn't do as much because I never knew God. I never, I never knew what the resurrection meant or nothing. I went to church when I was little, but I never really knew, personally knew him. But then I started. they started ministering to us, and the songs they would play, and they played. Have you seen that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? That, that's good. Yes. Yeah, um, were you there when they played it at the juvenile hall? Yes. Or oh, the boot camp? Boot camp, yes. Yeah, were you there when I told them to play it over and over and over? Yes. Yeah, I, I seen it. At first, I didn't understand what it was, but it's called A Wonderful Life, that skit. Mm -hmm. And then they play, played it once. I said she could play it again. She played at least like seven times. I kept telling her in the boot camp. So it's a skit that they, that yeah, they it's played? Yeah, a skit. I think they call it the Everything Skit. Oh, the Everything, yeah. yeah okay. Everything, yeah. You know, so. Was it a video? Yes, it's a, it, it was put up, produced by a church, and there's a, a person in there that plays Jesus. Oh, and then there's sure. And a young, young yeah. girl, and she, she starts to serve the Lord, but then she wanders off into the world and almost kills herself and commits suicide, and then yeah. Jesus comes and rescues her from all the demons and the devils. And Sure, and so if for those in our listening audience who, who haven't seen this, you could probably YouTube the skit. Yes, yeah. it's a, everything skit. The everything skit, yeah. and it's very powerful. It just talks about how Jesus comes in and, and rescues us really from ourselves. Absolutely. So in that skit, this there's a young girl who is, she's struggling with, she's drinking, she's doing drugs, uh, getting involved in crime, and Jesus is there for her, but he's calling to her, but she's not reaching for him. Mm -hmm. But when she finally reaches for him, Jesus breaks through all of the evil voices and the temptation yeah. and the sin and rescues her, and he takes on that burden himself. So tell me about that, Josh, how you related to that and how that uh, touched your heart. Well, it made touch me about because she was with God and then she left him. But I was never with him, so that part I just saw it. But the rest, when she was chasing beer, she was drinking and all, and she was her life was just tore up and everything. So it was mine, and I, it was a female. But I put that into my perspective about what I was doing in my life, and I, I knew it wasn't right. I was doing all the same things, and then 
what's it called? Later on, she was poor. She didn't care. She didn't even care about her life no more. She she wanted to kill herself, and I didn't even care about my life. I didn't whether I lived or died. And then I knew what I knew. I was I kind of knew that if I didn't have God, I knew I would go to hell. But I, I still didn't care because I just had so much hate in my life. I was just so blind and messed up. Mm. And then when I seen that point where she she was about to pull the trigger and then she threw it and she ran to God, but all those things that were in the way that she done, they were holding her back and she was still fighting the part. That's the part that hit me the most. And like they grabbed her, they threw her on the floor. She got up, she kept going and going. And I was like, man, it just it hit me hard. How hard? How much she really wanted him? How much she really wanted something that she never saw or she never seen before? That was the only hope she had to keep fighting and going, regardless of all the stuff that was pulling her back. That's mm. the part that hit me the most. I was like, I knew I would have to do that if I wanted to go to God. I would have to fight, leave everything behind. Mm. I knew it was going to be a struggle because I was in the situation I was in. So now in juvenile hall, did you make a decision for Christ? Did you decide to follow Christ in juvenile hall? Well, yeah, yeah, I did. But I mean, my friends would, we, when I was like a couple of times, we'll say, "Oh, we're going to church when we get out." But we went back to drinking or whatever we were doing and we wanted to go for the girls or whatever. But um, there was some time when I really wanted to change and I got out. It's, it's mainly like jail talk, you can say. When mm -hmm. you're locked up, you just, you just nothing, nothing to do. You just think and think all day. And you want, you want to change. But once you hit the streets and you get out, you're back with your old friends. You, and that stuff, that thought never crosses your mind. Man, when I got, and I, when I got like, before I left the boot camp, everything was hectic. I hear, like, like bad stuff. I had bad information coming from my friends, like what was happening to them, the shootings and everything. And and I knew I would have to do something when I get out. But I and I and I, I wanted to change at the time. But when I left the when I left the boot camp, I and that thought to change never crossed my mind before. But there was one time, and then when I was in the boot camp before I left, that I actually talked to God. I said, but I didn't. I said, if you didn't know, if I don't know, if you can hear me. I think I just pray that when I come out, that you find you have me something to do. If I can't, if you don't, then I guess I'll go back to my, my old ways, but I just pray if you do that, I'll dedicate my whole life to it, no matter what it will be. So you prayed that when you'd get out, you'd have something to plug into. Yeah, something to, something to do at least so I can get my mind off, and that's where I met Steve at the Strong Tower that same week. Okay, so you got out, mm -hmm. and you met Steve, who was a volunteer with YFC, and now... No, before he was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And now he's on staff at YFC, mm -hmm. working with young men like yourself, but... You met him at Strong Towers at yeah, yeah. your church. No, that that used to be a Christian clothing store. But when I would do community service, when I was locked up, incarcerated, we would drive by that store, and I seen how they were fixing it up and everything. It looked real nice. I've always that always stuck in my mind. I've always wondered what that was because I knew everything around town, but I'd never seen that place before. And then when I got out, it was a, it was a Saturday, and I was still I was I was, I was running around Madera like ten miles a day. And then one time I stopped by Union Donuts, and then. It was a Saturday. My friends called me that same night to go out with them. And then it was down the street, and I thought that I probably might just check this place out. So I went, and then I went there, and that's how you met Steve, and I got saved right there, too. Right at the store? Yeah, right so, outside. So Steve led you to the Lord mm -hmm. at, outside the store. Yeah. Oh, that that's incredible. Yeah, it was. Now, so Steve, let's talk a little bit about Steve, because he's a, an example of a guy who God is using in a powerful way. Uh, he's not an educated guy. He's not a pastor. Just a young man who has a passion for the Lord. God got a hold of him in his own life and helped him through his struggles. Continues to help him. But he's give, he's dedicated his life to the Lord. And he, he has been an example for you, Josh. And, and Ron, why don't you tell us a little bit about Steve and who he is and his character. Uh, Steve is just connects. Uh, he's he's kind of like a magnet for youth. 
and uh, they identify with him and he identifies with them um, and he is willing to uh, do whatever is necessary, give whatever time uh, that he can. He'll he'll work with youth in Bible studies. Uh, they'll go out and do things together, play basketball, different types of things. Uh, uh, he'll pick them up, take them to church. Um, you know, even and, and with wife and the two kids, he just had a new baby girl recently, and and through all of that, he's he's uh, still reaching out. He's still helping. He's he tends the uh, juvenile hall on Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday afternoons. We call it uh, a chaplaincy time where we go in and continue to build relationships and continue to inspire youth to to make the decision to, you know, make those changes when they're released to hook up with him or stay connected in a way where they can continue to work in their lives also. Because we know it's a, it's a very important part to go into the institution and love on youth and sow seed into their life. And, and begin to help them at whatever level or capacity that we can do that. And sometimes, such as in Josh's case, you know, he spent that six months there coming into the church and hearing and learning. And I, I remember the day when I looked in Josh's eyes and I saw the day that it clicked with him because his eyes became bright. He all of a sudden had a kind of little glow on him. He began to smile huh. and he was a different person from that very moment. Almost that, that countenance changed. That countenance <laughs> changed, yes. And so when he met Steve, of course, uh, upon his release, and then it was time to make a commitment so, at that time. Josh, we just have a few minutes left, maybe three minutes left. You've met Steve, and he's walked with you now these this last, what, year, year and a half? Yeah, about maybe. that time. Yeah. So how have things continued to get better for you in your walk with the Lord? Well, since that time we met, when we did, when we did that um, the interview, well, I, I, I don't know if you guys knew, but I was on house at that time, too. So when we did the interview, you had a you had an ankle yeah, monitor, I had on. A monitor on. I didn't know that, uh, but you were on house arrest. Yeah, so I was out for a couple hours, though. You were being watched by Big Brother. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, um... Well, yeah. So I, since that time, since what's that happened? time, well, my my fat my dad moved in with us, and because I, I forgot, I, I never wanted nothing to do with him before. But now I forgave him and I talked to him. I, I said, "My mom wants you. We need you back with us." And it took me, it took real hard to do that because I really, I really did not like him at all. But I knew it was by the grace of God that was changing my mindset, my mentality. I just forgave him. Wow. He moved in. He got me a job. I got a car now, and. Then, and I I was going to school for nurse like for nursing assistant certified. And I just graduated on Wednesday. Oh, from that. how great! Yeah, and then I'm probably gonna go keep working full time. And then a lot of things been changing. Yeah, my family, everything. And my mom, she she was she never went to church. She started going now. And my, I'm working on my other family too. So your heart and your change in your life is spilling out to your family. Mm -hmm. Your heart has forgiveness now, and that's blessed your father. Yeah. Your example is blessing your mom, and you're attending church. Where do you attend church? New Harvest Christian Fellowship. That's with Pastor Tim Echevarria. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you're getting involved in church? Yeah, yeah. So we're doing, we're doing outreach now more. Before I was in it, I was really committed more. Then I kind of slipped a little bit, and I caught myself. So now I'm building myself back up there before I... So I'm just trying to stay a watchman, just trying to keep on track. So you're staying before. staying focused and connected yeah. in church. And is, is Steve still around and helping you? Well, not as, well, we don't we don't really talk as much as we used to, but we still talk here and there. But you're connected yeah. to your church. Yeah, now I'm connected more. Steve just brought me there, and then I just somehow adapted to everybody there. How important is it having a church and a church family? It was really important. Before my family, I would, we would never communicate. And I seen church as my, my only family I had because the streets were my family no more. So I felt I was by myself. And I could talk to Pastor Tim, Carmen, everybody, my, the youth there. They they really helped me out a lot, even though I was going through stuff. They didn't judge me by who, where I came from. And they just accepted me. I, I didn't have to do nothing in order to, to be accepted. That's the 
part that really amazed me. That's incredible. Yeah. So the streets aren't your family anymore, mm -hmm. but the church is your family. Yeah. That's awesome. Josh, that's all we have time for. What a great story. And thank you and God bless you for, <laughs> for sharing with us and, and God bless you in your journey. Chaplain Ron, hey! always love being with you, brother. Hey, it's always a slice I, of heaven, brother. I, I see it in your eyes. Amen. Amen. The love of God. Thanks again, guys. Well, what a great time, and uh, that's about all we have time for. You heard it again, folks, the challenge to be a volunteer to reach our youth, our youth for Christ. And uh, you can do that by contacting us at 237-4741 or our website, yfcnow.org. That's about all we have time for, but isn't it just great news that our youth are being transformed by the love of God and the Word of God through His people who are sent out to reach them for Christ. Thanks so much for your care and support for Youth for Christ. Have a great day. God bless you. You've been listening to YFC Now. Contact us with your comments and questions at 237-4741. Visit us on Facebook or on the web at yfcnow.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting our youth.